Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you so much for your worship. If you have your Bibles, we are in 1 Samuel chapter 15. That's where we are going to hang out in our Bible study time. If you're brand new, you can reach into your bulletin and pull out some notes so you can follow along with the message, or you can fire up our Journey Church International app that has everything that'll be on the screens and a handheld device. If you don't have a Bible, no big deal. Everything that we study today from the Bible will be on the screens. And if you're watching with us online, thanks for hanging out with us from wherever you might be this morning. In 1 Samuel 15, we're going to meet a man named King Saul who's going to teach us the next part of our story. But some of you already know the details of the next part of our story because you grew up in a church like the one that I grew up in. I was texting my friend Kevin a a few weeks ago. He texted me. He was having a good morning. And he texted me like the first line of a song that he used to sing in kids' church. Kevin and I didn't meet each other till we were in our late 30s. But when he texted that, I knew immediately that I sang the same song in my church in Ohio that he sang in his church in Kansas. And he texted me kind of a phrase of a song, and I texted the next line of the song. And for the next, like, 30 minutes, we went back and forth texting these kids' songs to each other, this, like, common language that we learned growing up in churches that we grew up in. And I wondered, as we were doing it, I thought, how many people are like us. How many people grew up in churches just like ours? And even though we never met each other, we've got like this common church language. So we're going to play this morning a little bit of what I call kids church karaoke. Um, And if you grew up in churches like the one I grew up in, you're going to like know all the answers and be really excited. And if you're brand new to church, you will be sure that the rest of us are in a cult. By the time we get done with this little game, you're going to be like, y'all are crazy. What are you even talking about? But if you grew up in a, in a church like mine, I, I'm going to give the first phrase. I hope there's more than Kevin or he'll have to talk really loud this morning who grew up in a church um, like mine. So I'm going to give the first line. You give the second line. All right. Father Abraham. Yep. There's a lot of us in here. Um, how about this one? I'm in the Lord's army. I'm looking for the one who saluted. I know someone in here, like someone in here, wanted to salute. Um, how about this one? I am a C. That's how I learned to spell my name. Um, singing that song in church, everyone else would be singing that song, and I would be under my breath going, "My name is C. My name is C H. My name is C H R I S T I N, and I have C H R I S T M H R T, and I will Like I remember those songs. I haven't sang them in forever. Um, how about this one? Praise ye the Lord. Yeah, except it was never that nice. It was like as loud and as angry as you could possibly shout it. One section facing the other section. Like this common like kids church language that we all grew up with. But probably the song more people know from their childhood. If you grew up around church than any other song, it's the song Jesus Loves Me. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. We are weak, but he is strong. We're in week two of a series that we're calling This Is My Story. And I want you to know that I believe one of the most powerful lines of your story is found in that song, We Are Weak. And I believe if we can learn to tell that line of our story, We Are Weak, that God will allow people to listen to us, to watch us, to see in us, and to see in us who Jesus is to us. We meet today a king named Saul who helps us understand what it means to be Weak. Now, our belief in this series and why we're doing this entire series is that who you are in life is important to God. Where you are in life is impactful to God. We believe God knows you, God loves you, and we believe God wants to use you if you'd be willing to share your life with other people in your life. We're doing this series now because we want everyone in our church to live every day with Jesus at the center of their life. But we're doing it right now because we're heading into the Easter season and more people's eyes are open 
to Jesus in our world. And more people's hearts are open to an invitation from you to come to church with you than any other season. So we want to leverage our stories to help other people know who Jesus is in our life. That's why we're doing it right now. And today our teacher is King Saul. Now, who is King Saul? Let me give you some quick facts on King Saul. From the Exodus, Moses and the 10 plagues in Egypt and all that, through the period of the judges, Israel was politically a theocracy. Say, what what does that mean? God was in charge. No king, um, no Congress, no Senate. God was in charge of Israel for about 400 years, all the way through the period of the judges, which we find in the Old Testament as the book of Judges. But because of a massive spiritual failure of those judges, Israel asked God to give them a king. They're like, this is not working. We are divided. We are weak. We are not strong. God, can we have a king like everybody else? And their first king was a young, scared kid named Saul. He fit the physical picture of a king, but not the spiritual picture of Israel's king. I talked this week in the Activate podcast about how Israel was looking for the wrong thing. They found in Saul somebody that the Bible said was a head taller than everyone else in Israel. That means he was at least a foot taller than everyone else in Israel and tall people stand out. I don't know if you've been watching the NCAA basketball tournament. The University of Central Florida has a center by the name of Taco Fall, who's seven foot six, 310 pounds. I saw a picture of him that they posted in the first weekend of the tournament next to CBS's sideline reporter. This, this picture has not been edited or photoshopped at all. This dude is huge. His hand is like the size of her upper body. Her waist comes to like his knee. And if her arm is around him, she's touching his booty because there's no way... <laughs> There's no way she can get higher. Like that's, a little, that's probably why she's laughing like that. It's like, that's the only thing I can touch. This dude's tall. Tall people stand out. Saul, the only thing we hear that Saul had going for him is that he was tall. He was tall. When people saw him, they're like, yes, he looks like a king. And they looked at physical stature instead of spiritual heart, and it went really, really bad. Saul began as a humble and very inspiring king. But as he went on for 40 years, he began to trust his position and his power rather than trusting God and things fell apart quickly. In 1 Samuel 15, where we'll read today, Saul was told to defeat a nation known as the Amalekites. Why did the Israelites defeat the Amalekites? The Amalekites in Exodus chapter 17, the nation of Israel was only a few weeks old. They had just received water from a rock. They hadn't even started eating manna yet. They had not been to Mount Sinai. There were no Ten Commandments. There was no tabernacle. Just about a million slaves, probably emaciated men, starving women, starving children. And the Amalekites said, let's kill them all. And they attacked them. Uh, Israel was able to defeat them that day. A young general named Joshua fought the battle while Moses stood on the mountain and his friends Aaron and Hur held up his arms so that the staff of God could remain in the air during the battle. But ever since then, God said the Amalekites, if they would have had it their way, they would have killed Israel before we began. It would be like a parent fighting against someone who tried to kill your newborn child saying, no, at their most vulnerable, you tried to take their life. So he told Saul, wipe them out. Wipe them out and, and don't keep anything Um, Don't keep anything valuable. Don't take any prisoners. Don't keep anything that you can sell. Wipe out everything because they tried to wipe out the people of God. And Saul went and fought the battle. But instead of wiping out everything, he took the king prisoner. Kind of like a trophy of look how strong I am. And instead of wiping out all the valuable things in Amalek, he kept those that he could sell and could use because he just thought that was a better idea. And when God saw that Saul was no longer willing to follow him... He sent a prophet named Samuel to tell him he was fired. 
And we're going to learn today from King Saul the value of being small in our own eyes, the value of seeing that we are weak and that God is strong. Before we dig into Saul's story, my hope is that you will see your story today. So would you bow your heads with me and would you ask God today to speak to your heart about your story? Would you just whisper from your heart to heaven and ask God today to show you your story and the weak, broken parts of it that might allow God to be seen as strong and loving. God, help us through the story of Saul to see our stories and how we can share those so that you receive glory. That's our prayer. Help us as we study your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. First Samuel chapter 15, we're going to start in verse 10. The prophet Samuel speaking to King Saul. Here's the conversation that goes down. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instruction. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and he went to meet Saul. But he was told Saul has gone to Carmel there. He set up a monument in his own honor and he has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, the Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What's this lowing of cattle that I hear? Saul answered, the soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied. Samuel answered, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy Those wicked people, the Amalekites, wage war against them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took the sheep and the cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As much as in just obeying him, to obey is better than to sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Last week, we learned two things. We learned our story has value. And our story's value is that our Savior has a great spiritual vision that our story would draw people to Jesus, that our story would be for God's glory. Saul's story did not trend in that direction. The downfall of Saul's story was that Saul became too big in his own eyes And he didn't feel like he needed God as much in the day-to-day of his life anymore. What I'm going to try to teach you today is that the power, the strength of your story occurs when you realize how small you are in your own eyes and how big God is in your life and in the world around you. Because when that's our reality, we are small in our own eyes and we can't do anything without God. When that's our reality, two things happen. Number one, when you're small in your own eyes... You don't forget your nature. When you're small in your own eyes, you don't forget your nature. Your nature shapes your story. Your your story shapes what people see about Jesus. When you're small in your own eyes, you don't forget your nature. If we had time to study Saul's entire story, we would find that when Saul pictured himself as a kid, when Saul was just a kid from the tribe of Benjamin, just trying to live and be happy, when Saul pictured himself as a kid, his dependency on God led him to great impact for God. 
Even Samuel referenced that. Saul, when you used to be small in your own eyes. Saul, when you didn't think you could do anything without God. Saul, when you always used to ask, what does God want me to do? How would God want me to do this? Where does God want me to go? Saul, when you saw yourself as a kid who every day was dependent on God for everything in your life, when you saw yourself as a kid, God used you greatly. He had this mixture of fear and humility with this great posture of obedience. He realized, I'm nobody, but if God wants to use me, he can, but he's going to have to tell me what to do every day of my life. When Saul saw himself as a kid, he had this great spiritual impact for God. But when Saul pictured himself as a king, which he eventually did, he went from being a kid that says, I can't be king, to being a king that says, I can't be told what to do. When Saul pictured himself as a king, he could take or leave God's direction and help. And with the Amalekites, he left it, and God left him. When Saul was a kid, every day he would say, God, what do you want me to do? I can't do this unless you tell me how. As a king, it was like, God, what do you want me to do? I'll consider that. So my question for you, how do you see yourself this week? As a kid or as a king? When it comes to your daily life, how do you see yourself spiritually? As a kid who can't do, won't do anything without God's direction, or as a king who is interested in what God has to say, and you'll consider it? Or are you a king during the week, do my own thing, make my own decision, love to be guided by some Christian principles from time to time, and then on Sunday for an hour, I'm a kid, and I I really want to drink in and take in what God has for me. Do you see yourself as a king or as a kid? Because when Saul became a king, he could take or leave God, And during the week, he would kind of do his own thing. Saul's statement when Samuel showed up and said, God told you exactly what to do. Saul basically said to Samuel, I did that the way that I wanted to. I mean, I I understood kind of what God was saying, but I kind of do what God wants me to do the way that I want to do it in the time that I have to do it. And Samuel replied, "That that doesn't work with God. And in 1 Samuel 15, 22, he spoke a statement that kind of just kept repeating itself in history. Samuel replied to Saul when Saul said, I follow God when I have time. I follow God in my own way. Samuel said, no, 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 no. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than to sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. What were the Old Testament sacrifices? They were the way that people would worship. It was a picture of maybe how they would do church. And Saul's basically saying, I live life the way I want to, but I still go to church every now and then. And Samuel said, that's not following God. When Saul was small in his own eyes, he followed God God's way. But when Saul started thinking more of himself, he started thinking less of God. And the reality is the same thing happens to all of us. The more we get filled with ourselves, the more we become big in our own eyes and our job becomes big in our own eyes and our importance becomes big in our own eyes and our portfolio becomes big in our own eyes and our reputation becomes big. The more we think of ourselves, the less we kind of remember that God is even in the picture. And this verse, 1 Samuel 15, 22, keeps repeating itself over in Scripture As a matter of fact, there's something very big here because when Jesus quotes a verse from the Old Testament, you should immediately stop and go read the entire story from the Old Testament. And Jesus quotes this verse. When Jesus quotes a verse about you, 
you actually write it down and really learn what it means. And that's what happened to Matthew, who wrote the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, to tell the story of Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector. He lived in a town called Capernaum on the edge of the Sea of Galilee. One day, Jesus was doing ministry. He was having Bible study in a house. So many people came. There wasn't enough room for all of them. Some friends came carrying a friend who was paralyzed. They couldn't get him to Jesus. So they tore a hole in the roof, lowered him down. Jesus healed the man. And as he walked out to head to lunch, he walked by Matthew and said, I'm going to eat at your house today. And Matthew said, okay. And he said, invite your friends. So Matthew invited all his tax collector friends, all his government friends. Matthew invited all his non-religious, non-spiritual friends. And Jesus was hanging out and having lunch with all of them. And on the edge of the story, we find some people like King Saul, who thought more of themselves spiritually than they did of Jesus spiritually. And they were shaking their head at Jesus' actions. And they were saying, one of two things has to be going on here. Uh, One, he doesn't know what type of people he's eating with because nobody who really loves God would hang out with people who are in that spiritual condition. Or he knows exactly who they are, which proves he can't be the Messiah because there's no way, again, somebody who would be the Savior of Israel would hang out with people like that. Jesus knew what they were thinking, heard what they were whispering. So he asked them to go check out the story between Saul and Samuel. He said in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, as they were whispering on the periphery of how they thought more of themselves spiritually than they thought of Jesus spiritually, Jesus said, go and do a Bible study. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus said, you stand out there and you think you've kind of created your own religion with your own rules and your own regulations, but go learn what it means to truly have your heart open to God and you'll see why I'm here in this setting. Kind of leads us as we try to remember our nature, it kind of leads us to a little bit of a pop quiz. Here's a pop quiz based on Matthew 9, 13. What do you call a group of people hanging out with Jesus? You know what the answer is? The answer is not a church. What do you call a group of people hanging out with Jesus? Sinners. What do you call a group of people who hang out with Jesus? Sinners. You say, Christian, are you, calling, are you calling me a sinner? Let me let you answer that question yourself. Go back to that verse, Ashley, if you will, real quick. Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous, but to sinners. If you are a Christian, you've been called by Jesus. And Jesus said, I call these type of people. What's the word there? Sinners. So you're saying, Christian, are you calling me a sinner? Jesus is. It's our nature. It's who, it's who we are. And as we remember that, here's what we find out. When we're small in our own eyes, we never forget that we're the sinners and Jesus is the Savior. And so often in our spiritual story, we try to set ourselves up as the hero of our spiritual story. But when we're small in our own eyes, here's our spiritual story. We're, like, we're just sinners, but Jesus came to hang out with me. And he's the one that changes my story. When you're small in your own eyes, you don't forget your spiritual nature. And number two, when you're small in your own eyes, you'll begin to boast in your brokenness. And this is probably the key for this message today. When you're small in your own eyes, you begin to boast in your brokenness. In 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. Paul was a a preacher 2,000 years ago who started churches in cities all over kind of the Mediterranean basin. He would go start churches when they get successful. He'd turn them over to people in the church and he'd go start another one. And then he'd write letters to them. And as he's writing a letter to the church in Corinth, a group of people came in after him that basically said, Paul's nothing, we're everything. They called themselves super apostles. If Paul's an apostle, we are super apostles. Don't listen to him, we know more than he knows. And Paul wrote a letter to basically say, here's what I have over the super apostles. 
He said they might have a lot going for them. But here's what I have done that the super apostles have not. Here's the only reason you should listen to me instead of the super apostles. Because of my weakness. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, Therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said, there's only one thing that would make you want to listen to me. The weaknesses and the brokenness in my life. The one thing I'll do that they won't do is I'll share with you my brokenness. Now, to me, there are two truths in this verse that we just read. The first is this. I hear Paul saying, a lot of times God doesn't help people who won't admit that they need help. Paul said, God's power didn't rest on me until I said I'm totally weak. So I see a spiritual truth is sometimes you don't get any help from God because you've not admitted yet you cannot do it yourself. And there are some stubborn spiritual people in the room today who God is waiting to help, if you will say, help. But you're not small enough in your own eyes yet to say, I don't think I can do this on my own. But there's a second spiritual truth in this story. Paul is telling the people of Corinth, often you don't get people's attention until you admit that you're too small in your own eyes to handle life all by yourself. Sometimes you don't get God's attention until you admit you need help. And sometimes you don't get people's attention about your story spiritually until you admit that your story is a story about not being able to handle things in life yourself. I don't know if you know this or not, but the most powerful parts of your story are often your pains and your failures. The most powerful parts of your story that impact people the most are the parts of your story where you had no control over anything You were so small in weakness and powerless in your own life to control anything that God had to step in. Those are the parts of your story that people want to hear about. The parts of your story when God stepped into pain and failure and rescued you. Being able to share those parts of your story is the power of your story because people lean into vulnerability. And when you begin to boast in your brokenness, when you begin to admit your hurt, when you begin to admit that you can't do it, in, do it on your own, people will lean into your vulnerability because here is what I have found. A Christian life that appears too perfect is a Christian life that appears to be out of reach to people. A Christian life that is polished and perfect and good and never make mistakes is a Christian life that other people don't think they can probably have a part of. But if we are weak, then our stories become strong. One of my favorite movies of all time is Rocky IV. I still, if Rocky IV is on like TBS or USA or some weird channel, I still will stop and watch Rocky Balboa you know, fight Ivan Drago, this you know, Russian machine that was basically created to beat this American boxer over in Russia. And you, know, you can picture, if you've seen this movie, you can picture the fight kind of in your head. And I mean, Drago was just killing Rocky. The first few rounds, you know, Rocky said to his corner, like, he's a machine. Like, he cannot be beat. And then about halfway through the fight, Rocky throws a right hook that catches him square in the jaw, and it cuts him. And if you remember the movie, it doesn't knock him down. It really doesn't even stagger him. But the Russian steps back, and he puts his glove to his face, and he realizes he's bleeding. His wife stands up in the crowd. He's never bled before publicly. His wife stands. The Russian president is there. He stands up in the crowd. It's like, oh no, he's bleeding. His corner stands up. It's like, oh no, he's bleeding. And when Rocky and his corner see the blood, they're like, this guy's not a machine. He's a man. 
and he can be defeated. Weakness kind of allowed everyone to pounce into the story. And here is what I have found spiritually. When you allow people to see you bleed, you realize you're human just like them. When you allow people to see you hurt, when you allow people to see you struggle, when you allow people to see you broken, when you allow people into the areas of your life that beat you up, listen, they lean in and they look close enough not just to see you bleed, but if they look closer, they'll see not just your blood, but the blood of Jesus on your story that has healed you. They'll see your pain covered by the power of Jesus. People lean into our vulnerability. People might admire your strength, but they're inspired by your weakness. They might admire the great things you do and think, wow, that's really impressive. But they are inspired by your weakness because they think they're weak just like I am. And if God can help them overcome the most difficult, broken things in their life, maybe God can help me overcome the most difficult parts of my life, which means admitting the mess actually becomes a great ministry. As we learn how to see our story and share our story, part of doing that is admitting the mess because when we admit the mess, all of a sudden we have a great ministry. Now, a lot of times we have to address the mess before we admit it. So starting after Easter for five weeks, we're going to be in a sermon series called Address the Mess. And we're going to be talking about things that we believe are holding people in our congregation back from moving forward spiritually. We're going to talk about addictions and spiritual footholds in people's life that have not been addressed yet. We're going to talk about pornography. We're going to talk about divorce, stopping you dead in your tracks instead of being able to move forward from that with Jesus. We're going to talk about grief and suffering in this series. We're going to talk about bitterness. Some of you haven't loved anyone fully in a really long time because this tree of bitterness has grown in your life. We're going to try to address a mess that might bring you healing. But here's the deal. Addressing a mess might change your life Admitting the mess has the opportunity to change somebody else's life too. And most importantly, admitting the mess enlarges the size of God in your story. Because admitting a mess takes a belief in great mercy. Because the bigger the mess, the bigger the God it takes to clean it up. And the bigger the mess, the bigger the mercy. And the greater the God. And that is the reality of sharing our stories, is that if we will be small in our own eyes, if we will start with brokenness, if we will start with the mess, we might look small in our own eyes and we might look small in other people's eyes, but Jesus will just keep looking bigger and bigger and bigger. David knew this. You know, it's interesting when you study the story of King David, he was the second king in Israel. Saul was his old boss. Samuel was his old mentor. So he interacted with both of these guys, sometimes together, sometimes apart. But he would have, I'm sure, heard all kinds of stories about Samuel from Saul and all kinds of stories about Saul from Samuel. So David, in the worst situation of his life, is interesting, goes back to talking about Saul and Samuel. We see David, late in his reign, make some terrible decisions spiritually. He committed adultery with one of his best friend's wives. He got her pregnant. He had him killed in battle, put him in a place where he knew he'd die and then married her and just kind of thought no one will ever know. Everything will be okay. Just let's just keep moving forward. And he got confronted spiritually and a prophet named Gad called him out or a prophet named Nathan called him out and said, you, you can't do that. And and God needs you to know you can't do that. And David's heart was just broken. And David, when he was called out, Saul, when he was called out, told Samuel, listen, I, I do what God wants to do. I just do it my own way. 
David, when he was called out, did the exact opposite. But he used Samuel's words, which tells you he was aware of the story because in Psalm 51, after David's great spiritual failure, he said to God what Samuel said to Saul in Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17. He told God, you don't delight in sacrifice. That's what Samuel told Saul. You don't delight in sacrifice. Or I'd bring that. I'd just play church. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. Or I'd learn a little spiritual routine every day. So my sacrifice, God, the only thing that I can give to you is a broken spirit. Because a broken and a contrite heart, you, God, will not despise. You won't turn it away. David said, all I can give you is my mess. All I can give you is my brokenness. It's all I got. And God said, that's all I need. I can do the rest. All I can give you is my mess. All I can give you is my brokenness. It's all I got. And God says, good, that's all I need. I can work with that. And what we learned from David and what all of us have learned in our life if we're followers of Jesus is this. Brokenness is a beautiful thing when it's redeemed by God. Has yours been? Because who you are in life and where you are in life is important to God and it's really impactful to others. And when brokenness becomes a part of your story, people lean in. Because when brokenness becomes a part of your story, mercy becomes a part of your story. Forgiveness becomes a part of your story. Restoration becomes a part of your story. And you might, as people realize how broken you are, you may look a little smaller. But Jesus will look a little bigger. And that's the strength of our story. That if we're honest, we can tell people, I'm pretty weak. But Jesus is really strong. Have you allowed Jesus to take your broken mess? If you are a Christian, have you ever shared your broken mess? Because if you will, God will use it. Would you pray with me this morning? Heads are bowed and eyes are closed all over this room. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, if there's even one person who's here today or watching online who has not given you their broken mess yet, but they are at a point in life where they've realized, I am broken and a mess and I don't know what to do. God, maybe you drew them here today so they could meet Jesus and maybe Saul's story today was for them. If that's true, if that's you, sir, if that's you, ma'am, if that's you, teenager, if you say, my life is broken and I'm a mess and I need Jesus to help me, If you're here and maybe you've never given your heart or your life over to Jesus to be your leader because you thought my life has not been cleaned up enough yet to follow God. God says, I don't need the good things in you. Bring me your broken mess. I can work with that. If you're here and you've never done that, but God has brought you here today so you could, open your heart and say yes to Jesus, the Savior who loves you just the way you are. He knows you're a sinner. And he came to be your savior. All you have to do is open up your heart. Give him your past. Give him your future. And begin to follow him. If you want to do that, you can tell God right now. You just pray. You don't have to pray out loud. You can pray in your heart. But if God's calling you to that, would you maybe in your heart just pray something like this? I'll pray and you can repeat this prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just say, God, my life is a broken mess right now. And I need help. If Jesus can really help me, if Jesus 
really loves me, if Jesus is really okay being close to a sinner, then today I am being drawn to him and I need him in my life. God, forgive me for all the sins and the sinfulness of my past. Clean me up from the inside out. And God, direct my future the way you would want me to live. Change me from the inside out. Help me to learn to live like a spiritual kid who needs direction every moment rather than a spiritual king who thinks I have it all figured out. I need Jesus. So today, I ask him to come into my life and I commit to follow him and become who he has created me to be. I give you my broken mess. Be my savior. Now, if you just prayed with me, I'd like to pray for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, in just a second, I'm going to count to three. And I'm not going to ask you to stand. I don't want to make you feel vulnerable. I won't ask you to come forward. But in just a second, I'm going to count to three. And if you prayed with me, even if there's just one of you, I'd like you to just raise your hand and hold it up for a minute. And I'd like to pray for you. And then I'll have you put it back down. If you're here today and you said, my life is a broken mess. But if Jesus can help me, I choose him. And today, I've prayed to give my heart to him. If you did that on the count of three, would you just lift your hand and hold it up for just a few seconds? One, two, three, right now. Just all over the room. Christian, I just prayed with you. Leave them up for just a second. There's a few people in every section, so I'm just going to move around and count them. One, two, three, four. Keep them up. Five, six, seven, eight. Awesome, you can put your hands down. God, thank you for these eight people, for maybe those watching online who are like Matthew. Jesus said, sitting at Matthew's house, hey, I like sinful people. I like sinners. I came for them. And Lord, today, some people with broken, messy lives have heard that same truth. Let them know your love and your story as deeply as Matthew did, and let their life share your story. Thank you for what you've done in their hearts today. Now, heads are still bowed and eyes are still closed. And right before we dismiss, I wonder how many of you would say, I am a Christian, but I try to clean myself up and present myself as best as I possibly can. And I've never told anyone my story of brokenness. I've never shared my mess with anyone. I do not want people to think badly of me. But I realize for them to think properly about Jesus, they have to know my true nature. If that's you, would you ask God to give you courage to share the broken, messy parts of your story? Would you ask God to give you wisdom with who you're supposed to share those with and when and how? And would you ask God to let the painful failures of your life be the greatest spiritual impact of your future? Just right now, ask him. Admit to God, I don't want people to think poorly of me. But God, if I will be small in my own eyes, you will be big in the eyes of others. Give me courage. Show me who to tell and when to tell and how, and how to tell them. And let my story impact others.
God, Jesus loves us. This we know, for the Bible tells us so. And Lord, little ones and older ones, all of us, to him belong, but our story is that we are weak, but you are strong. God, teach us to remember our nature. Teach us to boast in our brokenness. And Lord, by being small in our own eyes, may we make Jesus bigger in the eyes of others. That's our prayer. Help us with that, Lord. And we ask all these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Journey, would you put your hands together for eight people today who said yes to Jesus? So, so exciting. Danielle?